I've printed the text for you on page 10 of your worship guide. Uh, Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 1, reading through verse 10. This is God's Word. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You may be seated. Let me, uh, let me pray one more time and ask God's blessing on his word, priest. Would you pray with me? Father, as we uh, come to your word, it is with great expectation that you will do abundantly more than we ask or could even imagine. And we have already asked for you to to be with us with great power, redeeming power, restoring power, burden-lifting power. And so it's our anticipation that you will not only hear our prayer, but do abundantly more than we ask or could even imagine. By your Spirit, make your word come alive so that we might see Jesus and our hearts could be satisfied by him. So we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, if you're visiting with us, we typically work our way through books of the Bible here um, at Zion, and we've been working our way through the book of Exodus, but we had just gotten through uh, a good stopping point in the, in the Exodus narrative. So we're going to start our Advent series a week early. Next Sunday is actually the first Sunday of Advent, uh, but we're going to, to start here. And throughout the Advent series, we're going to be looking at um, the, uh, the sayings, the mission sayings of Jesus, the I have come sayings. We enter the Christmas season. This is the time when we typically anticipate the coming of Jesus. That's what Advent means, children. Advent means coming. It's a time when we anticipate the great event, just like we anticipate birthdays or births with a series of Events or marriages with a series of events leading up to the great day of anticipation, we go through in the church calendar a series of Sundays where we anticipate Jesus coming into the world. And so we thought it would be good to stop and, and ask ourselves the question, why did Jesus come? And then let him answer from his own sayings why he came. And today in Luke chapter 19, we are looking at the saying, I've come to seek and to save the loss. Now, this is a great event, the coming of Jesus into the world, because it's the, it's the day when God took on human flesh. God came into the world 
in the person of Jesus. For thousands of years, God had been promising that this day would come, that, that he would come and make the world right again. That gives us an idea of just how broken the world actually is. The world is so broken that only God can come and make it right again. Only God can fix it. And the history of humankind sort of has played this out, right? Systems, governments, armies, empires, medicines, counselors, riches, poverty, technology, advancement have done very little to actually redeem the world and make it right again. Can't fix broken people. We've tried. We get a little bit better and things get a little bit better, but at the same time, things and we get worse. And so God has come in the person of Jesus Christ to put the world right again. And the coming of Jesus is just this monumental event, so monumental that when Jesus came into the world, the Bible uses new words like new creation and new birth and new life to, to define, to help us understand what it means to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. These just new things because God has come into the world in the person of Jesus. He's taken on human flesh to accomplish a mission that we couldn't accomplish on our own. And so Advent really is the anticipation of a top-down remaking of the world. Jesus came, took on our flesh, bore our sins, died the death we deserve to die, gave us a righteousness he earned so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And he alone has the ability to change us. But here's the big, here's the big difference. If you want Jesus in your life, you better, with this kind of world-defining, world-shaping, world-redeeming, top-down power, you better expect that if he comes into your life, that he's going to change everything. Not just a few things here and there. He's not just going to put some spiritual makeup on you or change your clothes and, and make your external behavior a little bit different or tone you up or help you lose weight or get you into a better job. He is going to change everything about you. He's going to change the fundamental orientation of your life. Nothing is going to escape his touch because there is a cancer called sin that has wreaked its harm on every area. It is metastasized into every area of our lives. And Jesus is going to eradicate that cancer by changing every area of our lives. And so the first I have come mission statement of Jesus is verse 10. For I have come to seek and save the lost. Those are the two things that we're going to look at today, right? He's come to seek and save. I want us to see two things. What kind of person does Jesus seek, right? If he's the seeking Savior, what kind of person does he seek? How can I see myself as one of those kind of people? Because when he enters into our lives, it is to save every area. So what will Jesus do when he enters into our lives? Those two things. What kind of people does he seek and what will he do when he enters in? Look, I think, the more I think about my life, my own heart, and the more I interact with you and others, I think there are two things that fundamentally drive every aspect of our lives. These are core desires. These are core things that drive us. First, 
the thing that drives us, and I think this drives us the most, is to be found at our worst and loved there. And the more glorious someone is that loves us, the more worth we have. So if someone can find us at our worst and love us there, that's one of our core driving motivators in life. The second one, I think, is this, to escape our weaknesses. Those two things just drive so much of our pursuit of careers, the way we raise our children, the way we interact with each other. I want someone to find us at my worst. I want to escape my weaknesses. I want those two things. And so drives us. And the first thing that Luke is showing us here is that the kind of person Jesus is, the heart of who Jesus is, is by showing us that he enters into all of the wrong people's lives and he enters in at all the wrong times because Zacchaeus is a really bad guy. I mean, children, you might know the cute little song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. And it's cute because Zacchaeus was short, which Luke goes out of his way to tell us, which is one of the reasons this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I mean, if you get nothing out of this, Jesus loves short people. But the song makes Zacchaeus seem like a sweet, innocent guy. But he wasn't. He was a really bad man. We're told that he was a chief tax collectors, and tax collectors at the time were traitors. Tax collectors were given permission by Rome, an occupying army, to steal money from people. They were extortioners. They were thugs who worked for the Roman Empire. I really struggled to create a context where I think we can understand how they would have been viewed by the common Israelite at the time. And I, and I think, if you could imagine this, if you could imagine somehow the horror of this happening, ISIS conquering and occupying the United States. They ruled our land. An evil, oppressive regime. And they paid for their lavish lifestyle by hiring your neighbor's to collect taxes, and they could charge whatever they wanted. ISIS didn't care how much they charged, just as long as they got their cut. And then the tax collectors kept, they would have been despised men. Those men were traitors, thieves, and extortioners. You would have hated for God to have anything to do with those people. And Zacchaeus, we're told, not only was a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector, which meant he was the big man in charge. He had tax collectors under him. Jericho sat at the crossroads where Zacchaeus was of two major trade routes. Every commodity that passed through that area got hit up on taxes, and those taxes, what was left, went into Zacchaeus's hands. They were also told he was rich as a result of this scheme, working for the wrong people. Now, in Luke's gospel, this is a double strike because rich guys are bad guys in Luke's gospel. It's not a positive label. The rich young ruler, not that God has problem with riches, but rich people often in Luke's gospel have a problem with God. And so the rich young ruler comes and asks how he can have eternal life. And Jesus says to him, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And he goes away angry and disappointed. In Luke's gospel, the poor are the blessed ones. And so here he is. He's a small, rich tax collector, and Jesus takes notice of him. 
and it makes the people grumble because he's just the wrong person. They don't get God's mission. In verse 10, that he came to seek and to save the lost. He comes to the wrong people at the wrong time because he doesn't enter Zacchaeus' life after Zacchaeus gets his life together. Zacchaeus doesn't quit defrauding or frauding the people of God. He doesn't quit taking taxes on them. And then Jesus comes into his life. Jesus pursues him out of this massive crowd. That's why Zacchaeus is up in a tree because Jesus's fame had grown so enormous that he has to climb a tree farther down the path so that he can notice, even notice and see Jesus. And out of this massive crowd, who does Jesus take note of? The wrong man at the wrong time. He seeks out the bad man before he makes himself good. He seeks out the wicked man before he gets his act together. That's the heart of Jesus. When he says, I've come to seek and to save the lost, he doesn't just, it's not just a platitude. He's not just saying this. This is who his heart is. This is who Jesus is. He can't help but see it. And then you get this, this language in, in verse 5. Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I must stay at your house today. He's compelled by the brokenness and the failure and the sin and wickedness of Zacchaeus. And he catches him while he's still like that. The wrong person at the wrong time. If you're not a Christian, you might be thinking, and this is, I think, often what gets in our head, you might be thinking, look, I need to get my act together and then I'll come to Jesus. Don't think that. That's a lie. I mean, Jesus comes. He always comes to us at our worst. That's our deep hunger to have someone find us at our worst and embrace us there. And that's what he does. He comes to us at our worst and he enters in. That's when he notices you. He doesn't make you quit sin, get your life together, and then he'll say, I'll have something to do with you. He enters in because in our sin, that's what we need. You always come to Jesus as you are. You could have been a Christian your entire life. The mentality is so, I need to, I need to get my act together and I can go back and start praying. I, I, don't, I really don't want to read my Bible because my life has just been, I have just been so deep into sin. I don't want to read my Bible because I've got to get my act together. This is the lie. You suspect that Jesus is so disgusted with your sin that he just wants nothing to do with you. Do you see what this is? This is a parable on display of the good shepherd. You remember back in, in Luke 15, Jesus says, look, here's what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd notices the wandering sheep. He goes after them. And then he throws them on his back and carries him and restores him. He doesn't call the sheep to return. He goes and pursues the sheep. And then he's the one who restores the sheep. And then all the heavens rejoice that the Savior, as the good shepherd, found the wandering sheep, restored him, and he's back. Why? Because that's what God does. He's come to seek and to save the lost. If you think your sin is keeping you from Jesus, you need to know that the brokenness of your life is the very thing that is causing 
Jesus to take notice of you because the Son of Man came into this world to seek and save the lost. He doesn't only notice Zacchaeus. Out of all the crowds, this is the one he notices, and the people are grumbling. This is like they're really upset. But he doesn't just notice Zacchaeus, he actually rewards him by entering into Zacchaeus' house and then stays in his house. And after he stays, Zacchaeus is so radically changed by the gracious love of Jesus that he ends up giving his money away to the poor and then restoring in fourfold abundance what he had stolen. And so you need to know that when Jesus comes into your life, he's going to come into your life at your worst. It's not get my act together and then go to Jesus come Jesus into the worst parts of my life. But if you're going to have him, if he's going to seek you, this is kind of a dangerous savior because when he comes in to the worst parts of our lives, he's not going to leave us there. He came to seek and save the lost. It's a great sign of his love, right? He takes us as we are, but he won't leave us as we are. Grace, God's grace, it doesn't just accept us, it accepts us and then changes us. And so the Christian life that doesn't have deepening experience of Jesus kind of getting his fingers into these areas, this metastasized sin, he's going to eradicate it. And as a result, we should see deepening repentance because he's getting his hands into deeper parts of our life. Christian life that doesn't have deepening repentance doesn't have any depth. Your relationship with Jesus is going to go deep. You see, it's really going to experience radical change in your life. He needs to get into the core areas of our lives. And when he gets into the core areas of our lives, and he's going to start messing around in that. He's not satisfied just to deal with the surface level stuff. He doesn't want to come into your house and paint your bedroom a different color. He wants to do a massive work of renovation. And massive works of renovation are really messy. He's got to take out rotten, broken places and and just begin to restore it. That's what a renovation. That's going to come into these deep areas of your life. And when he comes into deep areas of our life, it's always going to lead to deep repentance. If you have Jesus that just accepts you but doesn't change you, then you don't have the real Jesus. Because he came to seek and save the lost. And look what happens to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus responds, right? Jesus comes into his life. He, he accepts him as he is. He embraces him as he is. And it, his love for Zacchaeus changes him. Verse 8. Zacchaeus responds to Jesus and calls him Lord. It's the preferred title, in fact, for Jesus throughout the New Testament writers. It's a kingly title. It means king or master. It is a title that, that indicates submission and ownership. In fact, Luke goes out of his way to put the word twice in verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I get to the poor. There's a fundamental root, deep down change that's, that's occurred in Zacchaeus' life. He is now submitting himself to Jesus. And it's not just that Jesus has entered into his life. He's entered his life and just caused this very fundamental change in the orientation. No longer is he serving the Roman Empire. 
Now he's serving the kingdom of God and its king. And that root level change is what is called repentance. Repentance just means turning. It's sort of a loaded Christianese word, but it's a really important word. It just basic fundamentally means turning. The fundamental orientation of my life changes when Jesus enters in or because Jesus enters in. And, and Luke actually gives us an idea of what this looks like, what repentance looks like. So that's what I want to look at. The last two things is this. What, is, what does repentance look like? And then I think the more important question, what brings us to this kind of repentance? Look at two things. Deep down things that change in Zacchaeus' life as a result of Jesus entering in. Two aspects of repentance. And you can, ask, you can answer this question. What does repentance look like in the life that's been impacted by Jesus? Where Jesus is really present in someone's life, what fundamentally changes? Well, the first sign is a real change of behavior. The flow of Zacchaeus's life is changed. Zacchaeus goes from being a man who exploited others to being a man who gives generously to others. He gives half of his goods to the poor. And he went from a man who took from others so that he could prosper at their expense to a man who gives to others so that they could prosper at his expense. Jesus literally reversed the flow of his heart. One of the great engineering feats of the modern era was to reverse the flow of the Chicago River. See, the Chicago River used to flow and create inland and create these massive swamps where disease were breeding and mosquitoes were breeding and the entire population of Chicago was getting sick. And so they drained the swamps. They were the first swamp drainers. They drained the swamps by reversing the flow of the river so that now instead of the disease-infested swamps, they were drained and houses were being built there and fresh water was coming in and businesses were being developed that caused the city to thrive and the fundamental change that Jesus produces when he enters into our lives is that he reverses the flow of our hearts and external behavior changes. So if you're an addict, he will not only break your addiction, he will make you a man or woman who causes others to thrive. He'll call you into his purpose and mission. If you're filled with hate, he will not only set you free from that anger, he will call you to outdo others in showing Honor changes the reverse, reverses the orientation of our heart. The second sign of repentance where Jesus is really present, changing lives, saving, actually saving us from ourselves. And the second sign is a fundamental, a new desire to keep God's law. As a tax collector, Zacchaeus didn't regard God's law as something to be followed. He was willing to turn against God's own people collect taxes on behalf of the occupying Roman Empire. But now look what he does. I'll give my money to the poor, and if I've defrauded anybody, I'll restore back to them fourfold. Now, the law of God typically requires reparations. You steal something, you're supposed to pay it back 20%. Steal $100, sign of repentance. I want to restore the relationship. I want you to be blessed now. You get 20%. In the worst case scenario, for the most heinous crimes, the law required fourfold reparations. 
to be made. And so, see what Zacchaeus is doing? He's not just saying, God, what's the least I can do and get away with it? He's offering to do the most obedience. And so the Christian life, you've heard me say it a thousand times, the Christian life really is a constant test of allegiances. Jesus is constantly putting us into these places where we'll choose between living for ourselves or living for him. His rule, our rule. That last thing, and this is, I think, the most important thing that we get, because he came to seek and save. What brings us to this kind of repentance? I mean, what, what is it that, well, I'm, I've tried to live that way. You might be thinking, I'm just tired of trying to live that way. What will bring us to this kind of very fundamental reorientation of life? Tired of living for myself. Being convicted, I want to experience this in my life. What will bring us to this kind of imp- repentance? It's so important. Maybe it's essential to get this. This fundamental change of his life is because Jesus honored him. Jesus doesn't honor him because he repents. Zacchaeus repents because Jesus honored him. When Jesus comes to Jericho in verse 1, he intends to just pass right through. That's what we're told. He's on his way to Jerusalem to hang on the cross. Jesus has got his mind resolutely set to dying the death we deserve to die. Single-minded. He's fixed on that goal. And he's on his way passing through Jericho to Jerusalem. He has no intention to stop. And then notice what happens in verse 5. The great need of Zacchaeus, his great brokenness, the depth of his sin compels him to make a stop. I must. The language there in the original Greek is very intense. It's so compelled that it is a necessity. I must stay at your house today. And again, the Greek for stay is really beautiful. It implies, implies not just a stop off, but he's spending the night. He's taking up abode. It's the kind of word you would use for hitching your donkey for the evening. Again, remember the crowd is so great that Zacchaeus had to climb a tree. Everyone wanted to get a piece of Jesus, but Jesus, Jesus doesn't stop for a photo op. He's not trying to build his fame. He's outdoing Zacchaeus and showing honor. He, he comes into his house because he wants to be there. He wants to be there for a long time. Everybody wants to get this famous healing man, this casting out demons man, this man who calms waves and tells storms to be quiet. Everyone wants him around. But Jesus wants to helm with Zacchaeus. He's elevating him. The king on the way to the royal city doesn't make his home in a penthouse filled with sweets and servants. He makes his home with people like you and me. 
Because we don't bring him down. The king in all of his glory elevates those he stays with. So again, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, our assurance of pardon for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God does not see us as our sins deserve, but sees us as Christ deserves. God honors us. Did you hear it in our call to, or our Old Testament lesson? I just, when my heart was so captivated when Chad read it. Like a bridegroom who sees his bride coming down the aisle, so the Lord rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Well, I don't deserve to be rejoiced over. That's the point. He loves and honors and embraces you, and it's the embrace of Jesus at our worst that brings about repentance. Zacchaeus' life is radically changed because Jesus has found him at his worst and loved him there. As Paul says, it's the kindness of God that does lead us to repentance. Jesus doesn't honor him because he repents. Zacchaeus repents because he's honored by Jesus, and Zacchaeus is joyful. Did you catch that? Oh, Zacchaeus hurried down, for I must stay with you. He hurried down and received him joyfully. fundamental reorientation of life. He's found us at our worst. And he loves us there. He's borne our sin, elevated us to the place of honor because we hold his righteousness. And now the God of heaven and earth rejoices over us. So you don't have to be afraid of your weakness anymore because you belong to Jesus. As the old hymn says, when Jesus comes to our lives, he changes our desires. He changes a slave into a child and duty to choice. He goes on. Then all my servile works were done. A righteousness to raise. Because now freely chosen in the Son, I freely choose his ways. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let me pray. Father, if you would not have sent your Son into the world, we would be utterly without hope. Help us, Father, to live in this truth that our good shepherd not frustrated because he's got to throw us over his shoulder once again. He's not disgusted to make his home with us. Help us to see the smile on the face of a God who delights over his people. And then cause your smile to grant us repentance. Help us to love your law. To 
change us so that we would love like you have loved us in Christ. Our world would be different if you would cause us to grasp these truths. So we pray that you would work powerfully this gospel into our hearts. So we ask it in the name above all names, the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.